all you happy innovators out there. How you doing? You having a good week? I hope you're having a good week. I'm going to continue with that discussion about my dear old granddad. And I'm not going to waste any time. I'm going to get right into it. Now, in the last episode... I probably should have started with just a couple of basic facts about my grandfather that I, you know, failed to mention. So I'm going to start this episode with a couple of things. Uh, One, my grandfather was born in 1901, okay, and he lived to be very old. He died in 1991, okay? Um, So he had a long life, okay? And I did explain to you that he was physically strong, and, uh, you know, well-humored and charismatic, okay? And very eccentric and creative, okay? So, I guess what I want to talk about now, about this incredible person that was in my life for such a long time, um, okay, I can say this, that um, it's kind of cool, Okay, a little little thing I should mention, I guess, is that um, of all my brothers and sisters and cousins or whatever, okay, um, my mother has expressed to me that I'm the most like my grandfather in the way that I look and in the way that I walk and how I talk, which I think is kind of cool, okay, <laughs> because I admire him so much, but... My mother always kind of says to me, she likes to watch when I'm walking around because I walk like my grandfather, you know, and uh, I think my mother misses her father. She misses her mother, too, but I think she misses her father a lot. Okay, so when my mother sees me or when we're like talking to each other or whatever, there's like this part of my mother that enjoys it just a little bit more because I'm reminding her of her father, okay? And I think that that's worth mentioning and I'm also kind of like proud of that, okay? Um, And, you know, there's a story I wanted to tell you about my grandfather and I guess it kind of illustrates the kind of um, person he was. He was a very dedicated and compassionate and loving man. Although he was very physically strong, uh, arguably macho or whatever you'd want to call it, he had this side of him that was really, really quite uh, beautiful and sensitive. Okay, and here's a little story I'll share with you about that. Uh, This one time we were in his car. We had all gotten into my grandfather's car, which was like, you know, I could do a whole discussion on his car. Trust me, there was enough enough of him in that car to to talk about, you know, things that were not in any other car. Okay, just his. But um, I remember this one time we were all in his car in the back seat and a hornet had flown into the car. Okay. Now, you know, this is like, uh, you know, a minor crisis, okay? I mean, there's this, this thing that could sting or, you know, hurt one of his grandchildren, okay? Now, I mentioned to you that my grandfather's hands were like leather, right? 
Well, he, now I remember this like as clearly as, a, as I remember anything else in my life. He reached over and grabbed that hornet in his hand. Okay? He clenched it in his hand, and I'm sure the thing was stinging him like crazy, probably. But it didn't even phase him. Okay? He just, without even thinking about it, without saying a word, he reached over, grabbed it, and threw it out of the car. <laughs> okay? Like, that's how he was. That's how spontaneous he was. Okay? And how loving and, and concerned he was for us. That's the kind of guy he was. Cool little story. Um... And I could tell you some pretty funny stories, too, about this guy. Because he was really, like I said, he was eccentric and he was he was a tough guy, okay? He didn't take any crap from anybody, okay? And uh, there was this legendary story, okay? Um, it was when my mother was being born, okay? Now, my grandmother, like I said, had rheumatoid arthritis very, very badly. Okay, well, she was riddled with it. And she had it for a long time. So even when she was younger, it was an issue. And when she was pregnant with my mother and she was ready to give birth, there was some issue with uh, a level of danger in the birthing process for my grandmother or my mother. The doctors had kind of like expressed to my grandfather that was kind of dicey. You know, there was, a, there was a chance that my grandmother or my mother would not survive the birthing process, okay? And, of course, this is a legendary story, so I'm not exactly sure about the details, but the story goes something like this. My grandfather told the, the doctor, after hearing this news, that, um, you know, either his wife or his child may not survive, he... He told the doctor, okay, that if they both didn't come out of that operating room, that my grandfather would come back to the hospital, okay, and, like, put him on the road to glory, okay? Now, now, <laughs> in today's culture, that sounds really bad, okay, but... I don't see it that way. I kind of see it like, well, for one, I'm not exactly sure how true the story is. Okay. It's a, like I said, it's like one of those Paul Bunyan tall tale kind of things, maybe. But I could see him like meaning that. Like he loved his wife. Okay. Like he really did. And obviously he really loved my mother too. He probably loved her a little bit more because of that situation at the moment of her birth, that there was this risk that she wouldn't survive it. So um, I just think it's kind of a funny story. It kind of illustrates the seriousness of his love. My grandfather loved his family. He lived for it. Okay. That's one story. Another story I could tell you about, and this is true. I know this is a fact. Okay. Um, my grandfather was a very inventive personality. He, you know, he uh, was very capable of hatching an idea and 
you know, fabricating whatever he needed in order to make this idea come into fruition. And an example of that is, uh, all right, so I, I explained to you that my grandfather was working at Ohio Bell, right, as a lineman. Well, he was encountering this problem where he worked, when he was on the job, okay, where he would pull his truck over on the side of the road and, you know, because he needed to be getting supplies or whatever, you know, he was having to battle against oncoming traffic and, you know, people being stupid with their cars and stuff. And, you know, I would imagine that there was a serious level of danger for him, okay? So my grandfather kind of came up with this idea of, like, flagging off an area around his car, okay, with red flags so that he could work on the telephone line or around his truck without getting hit by a car, okay? Now, he had done this all by himself. He had invented this. He had fabricated the flags and everything. And this is before there were cones on roads, okay? Um, so, one day, one of his, you know, superiors, his administrators from Ohio Bell, came to where he was working and they were photographing his setup, okay? And it became something they implemented throughout the whole company, okay? This safety procedure for their workers. Now, it's arguable, and it really is true, okay, that this happened, that my grandfather inspired road cones, okay? Because up until that point, no one had developed any kind of system of barricading off or separating off an area around a work vehicle while someone was working, okay? So, like I said, my grandfather made these flags, they came and photographed him, interviewed him about it, and the next thing you know, all the trucks, all the workers have these flags that they put up around their trucks while they're working. That's a true story. That's the kind of guy he was. Another cool thing about my grandfather, okay, was... At one point or another in his life, he decided that he was going to make a comprehensive book about his family, okay? Uh, A family album, okay? But it was not uh, a scrapbook. It was literally a printed book that he made, okay? And he didn't make it alone. He made it with another relative of his, but... They collaborated on this book, and it was a history of my family from the very beginning up until the time right before I was born, okay? So I was not in the book. I hadn't been born yet, but my my cousin, who's a year older than me, was in the book. So it was right before I was born that he made this thing. Well, we would go over to their house, and of course this book was there. And it just became something that we would pick up and just kind of flip through, all right? And I have a copy of it still, 
actually. And it's really kind of fascinating to not only to look at it because the history of my family was a really interesting one, okay? But but that my grandfather was creative enough and insightful enough and organized enough to make this happen, okay? Into this concrete, solid thing that we could flip through and look at. And it's even more fascinating now to look at the book than it was when I was a kid. Because, of course, some of the pictures in this book are really, really old. I mean, they are really old. And, uh, you know, one of my relatives was a famous sculptor. Uh, Constantine Meunier, uh, French, he was in Belgium. Uh, he has sculptures in the Boston Museum of Art, <laughs> okay? Uh, I mean, he's he was a famous sculptor. He studied under Rodin. Uh, and Constantine Meunier was an artist who was born in Etterbeck, Belgium in 1831. But uh, what else? Okay, here's another thing. My grandfather's father, my great-grandfather, owned a bicycle shop in Cleveland, okay? And the bicycle shop was called Frederick's Bicycle Shop, okay? Um, My great-grandfather's name was Fred, okay? And uh, he had this business that he ran, and it was originally, okay... Originally, he had started the business making specialty bicycles for, like, circus performers, um, you know, showmen. Uh, That was what he specialized in, was uh, designing and creating these new bicycles that were weird or, you know, uh, you know, breaking away from... Uh, the, the traditional bicycle. Now, that doesn't probably seem like much right now, you know, a bicycle, okay? But my understanding is back in the day when he owned this bicycle shop, not everybody had a car, okay? Cars were uh, expensive and maybe unattainable for a lot of people. So bicycles were a primary source of transportation for a lot of people on a day-to-day basis, okay? So his bicycle shop thrived, and this was the environment that my grandfather grew up in, okay? Um, Now, in this book that my grandfather had made, this history of my family, there's this picture. It's like a centerfold inside the book, okay? It's a picture that folds out. And it's three pages wide, okay? The book was like an 8 by 12 book. So it was a rather big picture. And what this picture was, was a picture of his family kind of like posing with their bicycles. Like they were out bicycling for a day and they stopped somewhere and somebody snapped a picture of this gang of people. They're all part of my family, my my ancestors, right? And in this book that my grandfather made, there are these two pictures of 
my family members um, that are seated on these bicycles, I believe that my great-grandfather had made, okay? And each one of these bicycles has like four seats and four sets of pedals, like a bicycle for four riders, right? And these photographs were taken of my different family members like sitting on these bicycles, you know, posing on these bicycles. And they're professional photographs, so I'm not exactly sure, you know, who took the pictures or what. But anyway, what's odd or really weird about that picture, okay, this is a true story, I swear, okay, there's a restaurant franchise in Ohio. They're called Mr. Hero, okay? They make sandwiches. They're actually really good sandwiches, okay? They're out of control, especially the Roman burger. You know, it's one thing you can't get in Massachusetts is a Roman burger. And let me tell you, it's like the best sandwich in the world, okay? And you can only get it in Ohio at Mr. Hero. Well, this Mr. Hero is a franchise, right? And in all of their restaurants, or almost all of their restaurants, they have like this kit of pictures that you can hang up in their restaurant, you know, so if you go to Mr. Hero in Akron, or you go to Mr. Hero in Cleveland, they'll have the same kind of pictures on the wall, okay? Probably a precursor to like Applebee's and all that stuff, how they hang all that stuff on the walls, right? Well, uh, my family pictures were on the wall. These pictures from this book of my family on these four-seated bicycles were all over Northeast Ohio, Like, it was really kind of freaky. Like, I would go to get something to eat, go to get lunch, you know, and I would see, like, my great-great-aunt on the wall sitting on a four-seated bicycle with her sisters or this other picture of, uh, you know, my great-great-uncle sitting on the bicycle with his three brothers. So it was, like, a weird thing, you know? Like, uh... I'm not quite sure what to make of that. I'm not sure how they got those pictures because they were personal family pictures, but I don't know. Somehow they got them. And I would, you know, I would be out eating lunch and I would see my relatives on the wall, you know, kind of a freaky story, but it's true. Kind of cool, you know. So let's see. What else could I say about my grandfather? What other stories could I tell you? Oh, you know, this is cool. Um. My grandfather was a Civil War buff, okay? For some reason, uh, he really was captivated by Civil War era things. And he had a lot of memorabilia and pictures and flags and, uh, like I said, a weapon on the wall from the Civil War and um, clothing, Civil War era clothing uniforms, you know, army uniforms, union uniforms. I mean, he was just captivated by that era, okay? Well, on his front lawn, okay, he had made a cannon, okay? I think it was a replica cannon that he had built. Like, he bent the wood to make the wheels, and he hollowed out the the barrel of the cannon, and, I mean, it was made out of wood, Okay, but it was on his front lawn. 
And it was like right next to his flagpole where he's flying the American flag, you know? So he was like that kind of dude. And as a little kid, let me tell you, to walk up to a cannon like that and to be able to climb around on it and just look at it and just examine it without anybody yelling at you or telling you to get out of there or whatever, amazing, okay? Uh, and I remember that we used to have uh, family uh, 4th of July picnics at his house. It was a very big deal, okay? And you had to show up, okay? So everybody was there. My whole family was there, okay? My aunts and uncles, cousins, brothers, sisters, parents, some friends of the family, but, you know, family. They were all there, okay? The only ones who weren't there were the ones who couldn't be there because they were serving in the military. Other than that, you didn't get a break. You had to show up. And these gatherings at my grandfather's house for the 4th of July were, like, amazing, okay? Like, he would go all out. There would be food and candy and drinks and uh, just, it was just something that in the future my my family would lose, okay? It, it was something that no longer exists in my family, okay? Um, which is tragic, but it's true. And these memories that I have of these gatherings were just... It's almost like it was a dream, okay? Especially now, because a lot of the people that were there are no longer alive, you know? What a what a great opportunity as a family. Uh, and it's, I'll never forget it. I, th- I think about it a lot. I dream about it a lot, actually. It is, for some reason, it's like a little bit of heaven, you know? And, ah, oh, what I would give to see some of those people again. You know, so many of them are gone and I loved them all. You know, I loved them all. And, you know, some of them were weird or, you know, unpleasant people or something, but I still miss them. And oh, thank God that we had this opportunity year after year from the time I was like born until maybe the time I was like 10 or 12, or 13 or 14, where we would get together at grandma and grandpa's house every 4th of July, no matter what. Everybody was there, and it was just so much fun. And that was because of my grandparents. Okay, they made that happen. Uh, another thing I can tell you about, okay, pleasant little story about my grandpa's house that comes to mind, was uh, when he bought the house that he lived in. Okay, he never moved. He, he bought one house in his life, and he raised his family there. His family grew up, got married and everything, and he stayed in that house. Okay, they never moved. And on their property, they had a lot of fruit trees. They had a lot of nut trees. They had like a buckeye tree. They had a chestnut tree. They had uh, apples and pears on their property. So as a kid, there was this like walking around on their property and literally eating off of the land as you played outside. If you were hungry, you grabbed an apple. If you were hungry, you grabbed a pear, you know? Um, 
But, you know, I mentioned the chestnut tree. And, you know, like I said, when he bought the house, he stayed in that house. The house was built without a fireplace in it. And it was something that my grandfather wanted really bad. So he put a fireplace on the house. Okay. And I kind of suspect that one of the main reasons he did that was because, you know, around Christmas time, you know, like the Christmas song says, you know, chestnuts roasting on an open fire. You know, I, I have this memory of playing out on their property in the winter time and getting very cold and wet and, you know, just frozen and going into their house with my brothers and sisters and putting our socks up, you know, on the grill of their fireplace to dry and you know, we had chestnuts to literally roast on an open fire. I kind of suspect that's why he put the fireplace in. I'm not sure, but that's kind of what I suspect. I mean, this is like, uh, you know, borderline Norman Rockwell, you know, and this was my life. Okay. Um, so, you know, there, there you go. There's a, there's a handful of stories about this guy and just the, the nature of his personality and like, like how much he loved his family. And um, man, I could just keep going all day long with stories about him. So I'm going to tell you a couple more. Um, I realized that these stories about my grandfather are not necessarily about music. Okay. And that's kind of like what I'm here for. It's kind of like what I'm here to talk about. But um like I said in you know in the last episode, it's not really just about music. He informed a lot of my being, you know, um, much like a you know a historical figure would for some people, or a sports figure, or any other kind of hero that you can come up with. My grandfather really was the embodiment of something like that for me, you know, and. Yes, that does have a lot to do with, you know, what I'm aiming for, you know, um, what I find important. I mean, it, it just is, you know, um, I'm sure you understand what I mean, you know, like, um, like in my opinion, okay, art often imitates life. That's kind of like how it works, right? So... My aim as a human being, not just a musician and as an artist, I mean, my aim as a man comes from this guy, my grandpa, you know? Um, and I think that's why it's important to talk about it, you know, especially now because he's gone, you know? And in the next episode, that's what I think I'll talk to you about. The, um, the last phase of his life, okay, because it really was um, uh, tragic in some ways, okay, but uh, it's, he showed me how, my grandfather showed me how to love people, you know, especially family, okay. Which reminds me of another funny story that while I remember it, I'll share it with you. Okay. 
Now, okay, this is kind of complicated, so I'll try to break it down as clearly as I can. But, okay, my father, my dad, um, came from a very dysfunctional family, okay? Um, My grandfather, my dad's father, had a drinking problem, okay? A very severe one. And my father's mother was a very severe epileptic, okay? To the point where, at a very young age, my father, his brother, and his sister had to be removed from the home because my grandmother was hospitalized indefinitely. My grandfather was unreliable because he was dealing with a drinking problem. So my father his brother and his sister were all put into foster homes or orphanages you know this is the story of my my father okay this is where he started out now my father was the oldest so he spent the most amount of time he spent more time with his parents than they did but at a young age they were all removed from the home at one point and separated from each other okay Now, this is a testimony to my dad, okay, about the kind of man he is, because my father could have wound up being very bitter and angry, you know, a very malcontent young man, okay? And instead of being like that, he went the exact opposite way, almost to the extreme, almost to his detriment, really, at times. He's that kind and that responsible and that much of a father to me and my brothers and sisters, okay? But when my parents were dating, my mother and father were first dating. I'm not even sure if I should be sharing this with you, but I'm going to share it anyway because it's important. Um, My grandfather, my mother's father, knew my dad's father. Okay, and he had a very bad reputation. Okay, obviously because he was drunk, you know. Uh, so when my mother came home with my dad, okay, my grandfather wasn't really too cool about that. Okay, because he assumed that my father, you know, was the son of this guy he knew. Okay, separately he knew about him. And he didn't like him, okay? And he assumed my father would be the same way. He didn't really take into consideration or anything that my father was like the polar opposite. And I could tell you why my dad, I could tell you stories about my own father that would illustrate that to you. But I'll go back to the story. Now, so my mother brings home this guy, right? Who's the son of this like, you know, undesirable you know and my grandpa has this attitude like not my little girl Uh uh-uh you know he like did not like my dad okay which is hilarious to even mention or even think about because you know nobody could have loved my mother more than my father and they've been married forever okay and they you know they love each other to this day I mean it's complete and total, you know, but 
at the time, nobody knew that. Okay, nobody knew the future. But this relationship with my grandfather and my father is kind of like laughable now, but it was really something that lasted for a long, long time with my grandfather. He never, I wouldn't say, yeah, I, I guess I could say, I could say that he never really got over that. Okay. No matter how long my parents were married, no matter how nice my father was, no matter how good of a, a father he was or whatever, no matter how good of a son-in-law he was, my grandpa never really let it go. Okay. Like I said, which is really funny, but, um, I remember hearing this story <laughs> about, uh, my mother. Okay. My mother and my father had gone out on a double date with her older sister and my future uncle, okay? But they were all kids at this time, and they were all just dating. Well, for one reason or another, my mom's sister and my future uncle had ditched my parents, okay? So my aunt and my uncle show up at home on time, curfew, you know, everything's cool, but my mom and my dad are showing up late. Okay. Now, <laughs> the story goes like this, that my grandfather was waiting for my dad outside. Okay. <laughs> and if you knew my dad, okay, this is even funnier because he's the most passive, gentle, calm person okay well my grandfather like ambushed my dad <laughs> and like confronted him like you know violently for keeping his daughter out too late and uh you know the story has echoed through my family of course you know now with laughter okay but it kind of gives you an idea of the relationship between these two men, okay? And like I said, if you knew my father, you know, <laughs> like the best intentioned, most calm and, you know, compassionate and, and, and humorous and fun guy, gentle man, you know, being confronted by this big, huge dude, you know, who's like, you know, rabid, you know? <laughs> And uh, my poor father, you know, had to contend with that. And, you know, when my grandfather got older, you know, right before his death, he, he developed Alzheimer's disease, okay? And it was, it was really kind of, like, tragic. And I'll go into it more in the next episode. But, uh, you know, my grandfather would kind of, like, forget what time it was, you know? Like, what year we were in. And he would see my dad and that <laughs> that resentment and that anger would like manifest itself because my grandfather didn't understand that, you know, it was 35 years later, you know. So, <laughs> like I said, it's funny to think about now, but, you know, I remember being in like the hospital, the nursing home with my dad and my mom and my grandpa. We were there kind of visiting grandpa, you know. And my grandpa would kind of get, like, sharp with my dad and kind of, like, yell at him. You know, point at him and, you know, 
give him hell, you know? <laughs> and he didn't realize, you know, <laughs> there was no need for that anymore. But, you know, of course, he had Alzheimer's disease, so he was mixed up, you know? But I remember being there for that and just kind of seeing that and like, wow, it's like it's still there, you know? You know, I guess I, I should end this story, you know, this about this contempt between my grandpa and my father with this, okay? While my grandfather was, like, hot about my dad and, like, not digging it too much, my grandmother had a different approach, okay? My grandmother was, like I said, very, very delicate, very sickly. She was a very spiritual woman. And she saw in my father like the man that he really was, okay? Even though he was just a young guy. And she kind of took him in before my grandpa did, okay? And uh, to this very day, when my father talks about my grandmother, my mother's mother, okay, he weeps, yeah, at her memory because my father didn't really have a mother for a long time, okay? The only mother he really knew was her. So when he talks about my grandmother, my mother's mother, he gets more emotional than even my mother does because my grandmother had adopted him and took him in. And I remember being very young and seeing that relationship played out with my father and my mother's mother, my grandmother. So it wasn't all bad, you know. And I think a lot of the time my grandmother would rein my grandfather in, you know. And, you know, of course, eventually, before my grandfather got sick, you know, he got it that my father loved my mother, wasn't going anywhere. He wasn't going to hurt her or them or anything. He wasn't going to do any harm. He was a really good guy and all that. And then there was a long period of time, you know, probably the, all of my memory anyway, where that was really the case. My grandfather and my father got along, but it was in the telling of the stories, you know, that I learned that there was this animus between my grandfather and my father not on my father's part, okay, but on my grandfather's part. And it had a lot to do with my father's background, okay? But I see that as like a testimony to both my grandparents and my parents, okay, about the kind of people that they are, okay? That my father's future with my mother was not dictated by his upbringing or lack thereof. You know, and that my grandmother had really kind of become his mother, as well as his mother in law, because my father needed one. And my grandmother realized that. And I think eventually my grandfather did too. So, anyway, I'll, I'll leave it there. I'll pick it up in the next episode. I think there'll be one more. This is Mike Bostwick from Pipe Choir Records signing off. And remember, folks, if you want to keep what you've got, you've got to give it away. Take it easy.